Hello, Liturgy Guy listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and this week I sat down with Chris and Dennis and we talked about the Liturgy of the Hours. This is something that I used to think that only priests and religious prayed, but I, through this conversation, found out that it is something that is a really great tool for the laity as well. So without further ado, Episode 7 of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. Uh, can you tell me something about the Liturgy of the Hours? It's an hourly liturgy. Great. Sounds good. It's a wrap. But we were talking before about how the liturgical seasons divide the year into different seasons. The same uh, principle works dividing the, the day into different moments or different hours of spreading the holiness of the Mass throughout the day. So, you know, the biblical um, suggestion is pray without ceasing. Well, how can you do that? You know, you have things to do. Um, But the idea is that all the riches of the Mass can't be contained in one little one-hour experience. But you take those riches and you extend them out through the day in what's called morning prayer, midday prayer, evening prayer, night prayer. And then some monastic offices use even smaller um, prayers like mid-afternoon prayer, mid-morning prayer. And so the idea is you praise God ceaselessly like the angels and saints are doing in heaven, and we do it in the way that we're able to best do it on earth. And so there are books that the church gives that are called the Divine Office or Liturgy of the Hours, and we're meant to pray them. Everybody's meant to pray them. They used to be uh, just thought for priests and nuns, but uh, the whole mystical body is meant to join in and praise God eternally. So this is something laity can do as well, right? Yeah, they're encouraged to do. The priests are required to. You know, interestingly, priests are not required to say Mass every day. They're strongly encouraged. But they are required. How strongly? Very strongly. Okay, yes. yes. Like any other Christian would want to celebrate the Mass every day. But they are required to celebrate the Liturgy of the Hours. And part of that is their duty as sort of stewards for the church, that they are praying on behalf of the whole world, constantly offering the people of God uh, to God through Christ and as Christ, and then um, calling down graces upon the world. Now, uh, Chris, at the Liturgical Institute, uh, where, where you, uh, myself, and Dennis all work, uh, we've created this uh, book called the Mundelein Psalter, and we pray it uh, morning prayer and evening prayer with our students uh, during the school year. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what the Liturgical Institute's done for the Liturgy of the Hours? What the Mundelein Psalter does is provides uh, psalm tones for singing the psalms. And psalm is like, uh, is, 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 it's poetic. And certain texts are, are meant to be sung. These are one of them, mm-hmm. uh, written, written, I think, well, primarily as songs. It, it's of their nature that they are uh, they're sung. And so what the Mundelein Psalter does is it takes the official texts of uh, the Liturgy of the Hours, the Divine Office, and it uh, supplies psalm tones. Uh, for those and points, uh, meaning they, we, the text is marked according to uh, emphasis on certain words. So again, the word writes the music. And so it's the, the entire office then is meant to be sung. I mentioned, uh, I think it was in, the, in a previous podcast, that uh, Laudis Canticum is this hymn of praise, and that's what characterizes, that's what Paul VI called the Liturgy of the Hours, is this eternal hymn of praise, the church uh, sing, singing without ceasing. 
This is what this Mundelein Psalter is uh, trying to do. And that's a that's a ordinal thing like we talked about in the mass. The things that are, I guess, supposed to be sung are the dialogues. Is is the is this something like you said that is that the church says you should be singing liturgy of the hours? Yeah, w- yes, uh, mostly because the the heart of the liturgy of the hours uh, are the psalms, the 150 psalms uh, uh, together called the Psalter, and the Psalter now is spread over the course of uh, four weeks. These 150 psalms over the course of four weeks, and then the church begins the cycle again. But the psalms are the heart of the liturgy of the hours, and the psalms are meant to be sung. So that's one reason why uh, the Mundelein Psalter and singing the office is appropriate. But the other is, and we've spoke about this before too when we talked about the propers at Mass, the church's hymn tradition is not one of the Mass. There are very few hymns in the Mass. You know, the Gloria is a, is a hymn, a type of hymn. Um, the church's hymn tradition comes out of the Liturgy of the Hours. It's in the Liturgy of the Hours where hymns were metrical hymns would have been sung. So that's uh, on a second score. Why, so to speak, you missed that one, Jesse, no, score? I got it. Music. I got it. Okay. I got it. I'm um, sorry, I did not react. I apologize. So a, a second place is that, <laughs> the, a second reason why the office should be sung is that's the, the proper place for uh, hymnody in the church's liturgy. Did you, I got that one due proper. <laughs> no, 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 no joke on no that. No propers are okay, in the mass. Yeah. So what is the, what's the format, the primary format of liturgy hours as opposed to liturgy of the mass? Like why do we have the, a variation of liturgies and what is, what is uh, the liturgy of the hours as opposed to the liturgy of the mass? Well, there are, there are a number of hours that, uh, that surround um, the mass. And in some ways, it's, there's a parallel to when we talked about the liturgical year and its seasons. I mean, the heart of the liturgical year is the Paschal mystery of Jesus, right? And everything else takes its bearing around uh, the Paschal mystery at, towards the end of uh, March, around Easter time. There's something similar with the day. The heart of the liturgical day is the Eucharistic representation of the Paschal work of Christ. And what the hours do is they surround that and extend that uh sacramental uh, representation in the Mass in a similar way as the year's seasons kind of rotate around the Easter season. So the hours rotate around and extend the Mass. And there are seven, at at current, there are seven different uh, hours that would begin with, uh, the first one is uh, is called the Office of Readings or Matins, and that can be prayed the evening before, during the night. Um, the first one in the morning is called lauds, which means uh, praise or morning prayer. Then there are three day, three daytime prayers. There's a uh, mid-morning prayer, midday and mid-afternoon prayer. Uh, then there's an evening prayer called uh, vespers and night prayer compline. These make seven hours. And more or less, they, every three hours then, the church uh, comes together to pray. And there's a, there, I mean, there's precedence. Uh, there's roots to this. Uh, in, in our culture, uh, think of, you know, the workday, you have a, you know, this morning, noon, and night, um, you know, the two hinges of the day, whether you're Catholic or not Catholic, is when you rise up and when you mm-hmm. lie down, and these two or three times a day became uh, uh, common times to pray in, uh, uh, for the chosen people. And you see it in Scripture, too. There are certain places in the New Testament where it says it was the third hour, and they went to the temple and prayed. So there was a, a prayer schedule in the Temple of Jerusalem. Even before, the, even before Christ, before this is right. all. The Psalms written by, right. you know, traditionally understood to be written by David, 
who is lamenting and celebrating and praising. And so it runs the whole gamut of human emotions in the course of four weeks. Certain days, are, the Psalms are very triumphant. On the Fridays, they tend to be very um, repentant. And so you're remembering Christ's death. And so you kind of go through the emotions of Christ. You go through the emotions of David. You go through the emotions of yourself over the course of this four-week cycle and express and give all those things to God. Yeah, so different days have different emphases, but even different hours of the day uh, have different emphases as well. So morning prayer, which is called lauds, which means praise. These are mostly psalms of praise which are used then. And it's thanksgiving to God for a new day and asking a blessing uh, on this new day, praise for the light in the new day, versus when you get to uh, the vesperal hour, uh, evening prayer, uh, they have more of a reflective character, uh, often a more penitential character, uh, petitions for uh, the coming of the new day. And so even the hours have a different, uh, they, they signify different things. And what's interesting to note about the divine office or the liturgy of the hours is many people, if they do this at all, they tend to do it on their own and maybe they'll walk around or sit at their chair with their coffee in the morning. But this is the public prayer of the church, the Liturgy of the Hours. There's, you know, the Mass everybody knows about, but the Liturgy of the Hours is really intended to be a public prayer where anybody can join in. And the, the church uses beautiful language of this, and they say it's the voice of the bride addressed to the bridegroom. So the mystical body addresses itself through these uh, beautiful hymns and prayers and uh, melodies to praising God, just like the Mass does, but in this external, uh, or extension, excuse me, of the, the graces of the Mass. No, we, we've talked a lot about um, liturgy, obviously, and, and devotionals, which is another word that's thrown out there, like a rosary, divine mercy chaplet. What, what makes this a liturgy and not a devotional, or is it, is it, is it a devotional? Yeah, this is a good question. And, uh, yes. For, for a, <laughs> <laughs> uh, even, even for this particular liturgist, uh, what makes a liturgy a liturgy and a devotion a devotion is, is, is uh, to my mind, not... An easy one to answer. Uh, a liturgy, and the Liturgy of the Hours, as its name would suggest, is in the camp of liturgy. And uh, if nothing else, it, it's an action of the totus Christus, the whole church, who is, as the catechism will say at one point, is the liturgist. Okay? And so whether it's, if it's one person, layperson, cleric, praying the Liturgy of the Hours, that is an action of the entire mystical body of Christ. Versus a private devotion, which, as its name would suggest, is not necessarily an action of the whole mystical body of Christ, but a, a particular cell of that body. So what makes a liturgy a liturgy and the liturgy of the hours a liturgy is that when this prayer is made, it is, as Dennis said, it's an action of the whole church singing the song of love to her, uh, to her bridegroom, uh, Christ himself. So... Uh, it's, it's in the category of liturgy as, lo, as well as the other sacraments, funerals, sacramentals, um, blessings. So if, if you go to St. Peter's Square and you do the Angelus with Pope Francis and it's a group of people and it's praying, would that be a liturgy? No, that is a devotion. But okay. what's interesting about the Angelus, though, and, and it's relevant here, is uh, how often do we pray the Angelus? Or is it meant to be prayed each day? Uh, once. Is it? There's a thrice. 6 a.m., noon, and 6 p.m. Oh, 6 yeah, a.m., noon. Yeah, and so even here, you know, even our devotional life, and this is a good example of this, is that uh, the devotional life and the liturgical life are to, devotions are to be derived from the liturgy and lead people to the liturgy, and that our devotional life uh, echoes these, uh, the sacramentality of the day's hours is very appropriate. 
Uh, we think also the, the, the three o'clock hour of mercy. You know, all of these are, are associated with uh, the liturgical making present uh, of Christ's work in a devotional way. But the, you know, that the church marks certain hours of the day, um, said before, begins with uh, the life of the chosen people. Uh, they were to offer in the temple, Dennis, you can speak uh, uh, to this, I think, uh, lambs in the morning and in the evening, and burn incense twice a day as well, too. These became kind of the, the hinge hours of, of uh, liturgical prayer in the temple. And so those today become, in a certain sense, I think this is the, the language the, the Constitution uses, that the two key hours, the cardinal hours, the hinge hours, become morning prayer and evening prayer. These are the most important hours of the day. Even Vatican II itself says the divine office is the prayer of the mystical body publicly praising God. So if you go to Mass every day, that's great. But then you can also pray again later, uh, several times a day, pray with your family, pray at home, pray in the car. Uh, if you're supposed to pray always as an anticipation of what you'll do in heaven forever, then the Liturgy of the Hours is a, is a great way to do that. And strangely enough, you know, the notion that the regular laity should be doing this is a very important suggestion or really um, proclamation of the Second Vatican Council, that this is how regular people become holy. And it says priests should have the public recitation of the Liturgy of the Hours in their churches on Sundays and feast days, especially in cathedrals, should do it every day. And the idea is that people can join in any time to put the words of Christ on their lips. There's kind of a joke here when seminarians come to Mundelein and they start singing the Liturgy of the Hours regularly. Certain phrases are a little odd, you know, like, unless you acquire the heart of a child, you shall not enter the kingdom of God. And people say, well, where do I find the heart of a child? You know, and they, I need to get one of those. They put a little beating heart in their hands, you know, dum, 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 dum. Or, uh, you know, compass me about like bees. What happens is these little phrases become something you do every day day after day, week after week, and suddenly the vocabulary of Scripture becomes your normal vocabulary, and it just becomes how you speak. So what? So we have uh, Liturgy of the Eucharist, which is Liturgy of the Word and Liturgy of the Eucharist, and then we have Liturgy of the Hours. Are there any other liturgies that are not devotionals? They're liturgies. Mm -hmm. Well, no devotion is a liturgy, and no liturgy is a devotion. All sacraments take uh, the form of a liturgical celebration, and a... a, a so the sacrament of the Eucharist uh, is celebrated in the kind of the clothing of what we'd call uh, a liturgy. The liturgy, as we said before, is, is a work done in the name of or on behalf of the people where the, work, the saving work of Jesus Christ and the Paschal Mystery is made present. The difference between a, a sacrament and a liturgy is not uh, especially clear. All the sacraments are liturgical celebrations. You know, they, they belong together. They're in a, in a certain sense uh, uh, flip sides of the same coin. Um, the Liturgy of the Hours is not a devotional prayer. It, it should be prayed with devotion, but it is, uh, properly speaking, a liturgy where the, where the work of Christ, carried out by the body of the church, is made present for God's glory and the salvation of the world. What uh, is, this, this is, I think, an interesting uh, insight, is that uh, when, when we read the gospel accounts of the Passion of the Christ, the past, you know, his suffering uh, and death on the cross, is that we see that the gospel writers uh, put in details of this story at particular times. Let me just give you some examples. Mm -hmm. So this is uh, in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 18, verse 27. It says, again, Peter denied it, and immediately the cock crowed. And just my little N-A-B-R-E footnote says that cock crow was the third division of the night lasting until 3 a.m. So at 3 a.m., Peter denies Christ. 
John 18, 28 says, Then they brought Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium. It was morning. And again, the footnote says, literally the early hour or the fourth division of the night, 6 a.m. Okay. Mark 15, 25, it was 9 o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. Mark 15, 33, at noon darkness came and covered the whole land. Mark 15, 34, at 3 o'clock Jesus cried out in a loud voice. So notice as, as the gospel writers... Uh, give to us the uh, the account of Jesus saving death upon the cross that they put in these details every three hours that surround this. Now this sort of unseen reality becomes a seen reality, or maybe the better way to say it is a heard reality in the liturgy of the hours, because the church's hours are punctuated every every three hours. This is the division of the day, and so you can. In a, very, in a very tangible way, you can see how the church's liturgy of the hours surround the celebration of the Eucharist, extend it, and uh, deepen it. And it's not that hard to learn how to do the liturgy of the hours. I mean, go to any Catholic bookstore on Amazon and buy Christian prayer, simple Christian prayer, or the Mundelein Psalter. And basically, morning prayer leads you straight through it. Sometimes if it's a feast day, you have to substitute a few things, but it's, it's not very hard. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, this duty, oh, to do this all the time. That was always kind of the notion, you know, older priests had, oh, this is my duty to do this. But the uh, Second Vatican Council changes that a little bit and says it's not so much a duty as much as it is an opportunity for standing around the throne of God and praising God. And when you do that, you become glorified and sanctified yourself. So it's an opportunity to become holy that most of us don't even know about. I really like that that image of... The liturgy of the hours surrounding uh, the Mass and, and extending the Mass because really that's the best thing that we have. The, the, the liturgy of the Eucharist is like the best thing that we have and to be able to extend that and go beyond that, that, that that's a great tool to have in our daily life. Yeah, as uh, Dennis said, learning to pray the liturgy of the hours, uh, I think everybody who's listening to this does more difficult things in his or her day than Liturgy of the Hours. But still, it, it, it takes some getting used to, uh, the, uh, uh, the order and where to find different things if you're using uh, the book. It can be a little frustrating at, at first, but like anything else that we do, it takes a little bit of practice and uh, we, we come to learn it. Maybe the, if I were to suggest, and, and, and when people ask, I would say start with just perhaps night prayer is the easiest prayer. Mm-hmm. Just pray night prayer. Uh, until you get the hang of it, of what an antiphon is, what the psalms is, the short readings and responsories, the gospel canticles, you know, the, the introductory verse and the concluding verse. And these are pretty much the same. There's a little bit of variations uh, throughout the various different hours. So you start with one hour and start kind of get the feel of it. Um, then, you know, morning prayer and evening prayer, as I said before, the most uh, essential hours. One thing that, that uh, I read about once in the liturgical movement, this was a, an initiative that was promoted by this publication called Orate Fratres, maybe in the 30s, uh, because getting the laity to pray the Liturgy of the Hours was, uh, was a very big part of the work of the liturgical movement. And one of the things that they suggested, which I thought was a really good idea, is what they would call a League of the Divine Office. Where they would, and at this time there were eight hours. There was a, there was a, a, another hour called the Liturgy League. Well, that's what we should have called this podcast, it's like the Justice Liturgy League, League. Saturday morning cartoons. <laughs> well, the the League of the Divine Office would be that they would find eight lay laypersons, and each one would commit to taking one hour. Okay, so I would take uh, the hour of prime, which was at uh, six a.m., and Jesse, you would take the 
the hour of terse, the third hour, uh, sext would be uh, the, the, the sixth hour. And so everyone, every one of these eight persons would have it. And so this league together of these eight people, collectively, this cell would pray the entire office, uh, each person taking a different hour. And then after one week, you would switch. You'd take a different hour. Hmm. Uh, I think it was, it's a very beautiful idea that uh, maybe it's worth trying somewhere again. Yeah, I can say, I can say that um, I'm part of a men's group we meet once a week. And uh, we were looking for some sort of prayer structure to begin our meetings with. And we, we looked to night prayer, we, or evening prayer, rather. And so we would we do evening prayer together once a week. And that was going really well. We, we would just read it. Um, but then I had learned more about the mundane Psalter and, and chanting and using these tones. So I, I, I brought a couple of those with me. And we started chanting them. And, and the guys there, I got to say, uh, more, more than a few of them said, you know, being able to sing or chant these has made me look at the text or the words in a, in a more intimate way than I had been before. Before, you're just reading something. But, you know, this, again, is kind of throwback to the, the singing and the chanting. It has added so much to what we're doing. And you know what singing requires? It's not just singing. It requires listening. And so, you know, the phrase, oh, God, come to my assistance, which is how prayer opens, you would, you would think if there's 10 people, you'd say, come to our assistance. But it's my assistance because everybody's acting as one person. They're acting as the one mystical body, Christ. And if someone next to you, ha- you know, has an you know, operatic voice and they're singing really loudly, they have to back off. And you, if you're timid, have to rise up a little bit so that you sound like you're singing in one voice, that the many become one. And the great problem with humanity is we're all divided from each other. We don't listen to each other. We don't listen to God. We don't praise God as we ought to. Suddenly, you have a lot of people in the same room singing the praise of God, and they have to be attentive to one another and then use that attentiveness to praise God. And it's an exercise in being the mystical body on earth. And just being in a group in general, I think, can be good if you're interested in doing liturgy of the hours. Uh, Chris, you talked about you know splitting it up with you know eight people um, and then you know doing a different schedule, but... I think what, what we were doing with our men's group, just having accountability and all trying to learn it together, that helps too. Having a, a group of people with you or, or uh, you know, there's uh, Marmion Abbey in, in Aurora where I went to high school. Um, I, know, I know they do this and, you know, they wouldn't mind if I went out there and joined just to get an idea of this, learn how it, how it goes. What does it sound like? What does it read like? And it can be done in your home too. We, we have a coworker, Kevin, who... Um his wife gets up earlier than him. She makes the coffee. And then she sings up the stairs every morning, Oh God, come to my assistance. And he's still in bed and he answers, Oh you, Lord, make <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> so their first words to each other each day are the words of morning prayer and asking God for help and then responding to one another. And, uh, you know, it's a lot better than, Hey honey, get out of bed, right? You know, it's a beautiful mm-hmm. way to start the day. You know, that really is especially beautiful for a married couple because if the Liturgy of the Hours is the voice the song of the bride to the bridegroom and that's what a married couple is is mm-hmm. you know uh, upon uh, uh, wedding you know one another the 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 husband is in a certain sense uh, remade refashioned in in the in the person of Christ and the the wife becomes a, a, a an incarnation of the church and so they're they're sacramental expressions of this marriage between Christ and the church oh that, that's a good story I'll have to talk to Kim about this but I don't know that that will work because uh, I'm a morning person and she's an evening person so we just by nature where it's it's hard for us to get on the same page 
for a morning prayer and evening prayer together. But I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's great. great she can idea. lead night prayer in your house. That you can lead yeah, that's true. That's you know, true. another thing about uh, night prayer, though, that I was reminded of recently going through the general introduction is, is the, the general introduction says that you can just pray the night prayer psalms every night of the week. So you don't even have to change uh, each night. In this way, the psalms, which are, I think it's 4 and 94, Seven and one thirty-four. I think those are the the Saturday Sunday Psalms. You can pray those every night prayer, and so this really gets uh, uh, easier. It gets more into your own uh, flesh and blood. Uh, mm-hmm. your and there's a pattern, and uh, there's a pattern with liturgy of the hours. There's a rhythm, and it. it once you get into it, it does get a lot easier. See, and isn't that exactly the point of the liturgy? Mm-hmm. You know, in former podcasts we've said that you know, the liturgy is the world's great cosmetic. You know, to reorder and to uh, uh, to restore what ha- what sin had made chaotic. This is what the liturgy is meant to do, to reorder mm-hmm. you, your life, the world around you, and in fact, the entire cosmos. Right, and the catechism says to celebrate the liturgy of the hours is to exercise the royal priesthood of the baptized, whether you're a priest or a layperson. So it's not just this obligation. It's an opportunity for laypeople to participate according to their own dignity as baptized people. They can offer a sacrifice of praise to God every hour of the day. All right. Well, just to, to reiterate, there's lots of ways you can do Liturgy of the Hours. There's lots of resources out there. You can even do it on your, your iPhone, iBreviary.com. But uh, if you're interested in the Mundelein Psalter, you can go to www.mundeleinsalter.com. really is a, a great resource, especially if you wanted to sing or chant the Liturgy of the Hours. So uh, I think it's that time again. What time is that, Jesse? Email time. Oh, yeah. Mail call. Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? Okay, we have uh, another question for the liturgy guys. And I got to say that uh, we do some other uh, question submissions for the Liturgical Institute about liturgy. This is probably the question we get the most. A lot of people want to know this. So this question comes from Anonymous. And Anonymous says, why do some congregations hold hands during the Our Father and others don't? Is one more appropriate? I actually submitted that question, Dennis. Oh, okay, man. Let's see what I can do with it. Well, like a lot of liturgical things, the church does not give a prescription of what to do during the Our Father for people in the pews. It says where the priest's hand should be or the bishop's, but not for people in the pews. And so what you have to do is step back and sort of ask liturgically what seems the most appropriate to do at that moment. And I don't think the church would ever say, well, you can't hold your daughter's hand during Mass or your wife's hand. But when you start saying, well, universally, everybody, strangers included, should suddenly be forced out of their prayer and into this kind of forced intimacy with another that brings them out of their prayer, then you might say, well, maybe that's not a liturgically appropriate uh, gesture. It seems like this has grown up kind of spontaneously. You see this hand-holding during the Our Father in a lot of uh, evangelical churches. And so there are different arguments for and against, uh, but fundamentally the church does not prescribe this as a thing to do, nor does it uh, say you can't do it. But then you have to step back and say, what really makes sense at this point? And what's happening at that point during the Lord's Prayer and then what they call the embolism, that insertion, is if you think of the petitions for the... That, that, that are prayed during the Lord's Prayer, uh, forgiveness of sins, deliverance from evil, and then the emboli- embolism... Uh, Deliver us, Lord, from every evil and grant us peace in our day. Uh, keep us free from all anxiety. Uh, so it's, it, those petitions don't seem to be consonant with the expression of 
unity, which holding hands uh, might suggest. I mean, right after that, we'll have an, ex- uh, an exchange of peace uh, with the sign of peace, which is meant to express uh, communion and unity. Uh, so the holding hands is not, well, and then even later we'll have communion. I mean, that's the ultimate expression of the unity of the assembly. And so it seems a, a, a misplaced uh, sacramental gesture. And it's been proposed that the true sign of the unity of the assembly is the reception of Eucharist. And so that should be preserved as the sign of unity. So would you say, I guess, for lack of a better uh, term, the default for the default posture for the Our Father is to, you know, have your hands down at your side or? Well, probably in a prayerful position. Uh, together, folded, uh, keep your hands to yourself, I suppose. Uh, Romano Gordini talks about different personality types at liturgy, and there's the social type who wants to, like, emote everything, and then there's the kind of uh, antisocial type who wants to be left alone. And uh, that intimacy, forced intimacy in liturgy is always foreign to the liturgy itself because it's not something that's proper to the nature of the expression itself. While at the same time, you're supposed to remember that you are one body made of many members. And so it's a tough line. How do you all do the same thing without feeling like you're being imposed upon to do something that's uncomfortable, distracting, or takes you out of your prayer? And so I think people who respond against the hand-holding feel a bit like, this is a stranger, I don't know this person, and uh, it's not part of the liturgy itself, and it seems to draw you out of the liturgical action and therefore impede liturgical participation. On the other hand, you could say, well, if we really want to be the mystical body, we should get over our divisions and learn how to hold hands without feeling uncomfortable. Um, But I don't think we're quite there yet. As time goes on, we'll see if this becomes uh, absorbed into the right through the normal channels, which would be the votes of the bishops and approval by Rome. And has that happened in the past where something has been happening in the liturgy and then, you know, the uh, church fathers or the... uh, Authorities have said, okay, yes, let's now put this in in the liturgy. Is that something that happens? Yeah, there are certain customs that would happen in the Roman church, for instance, and then they would get included into the Roman Missal, and then somebody in France would use the Roman Missal, and suddenly this Roman thing would become absorbed into the uh, French liturgy, or vice versa. Uh, I guess you can tell me this for sure, but like the Exaltat was this French thing uh, that was particularly in the Gallican Rite, and then it got absorbed into the Roman uh, Missal over time. But the, the thing is that liturgy is not frozen, but it's also not subject to the whim of every individual. So you have... A, or even a particular parish. Right, or a priest, or even a bishop. You know, it says right in Vatican II, no, no one, even a priest, may add, change, or uh, subtract mm-hmm. things from the right. But if it seems like something spontaneously rises up in a culture or in a parish that seems to make the liturgy better, they can ask their bishop, and if it's within his jurisdiction to permit it, he can do that. And if the uh, the nation suddenly does this great thing, the bishops can vote on it, and then it can be approved by Rome. And so there's always this balance between keeping the liturgy fresh and keeping it from going off the rails. All right, well, I'm not sure, sure you guys even answered that question. Uh, well, I guess we'll find out when we get all the angry emails. Uh, But that is our question of the week. If you would like to submit your own question for the Liturgy Guys, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com. Thanks again, and God bless. The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition. 